Welcome to Let's Face the Facts, the rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. Join us each week as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. And now, here's your host of Let's Face the Facts, the wonderful David Almeida! Thank you, Matthew Arder. Welcome back. It's another week, another show. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. We are already on the Zoom call. Uh, I am David, your uh, illustrious host, and joining me as always, the wonderful Matthew. Hi, Matthew. Hi, David. Before we get the show started, Matthew, we have a new Tutti Fruity. Oh. We do. Daniel C. Hi, Daniel. Hey, Daniel, this is your official shout out. Hi, hi. I think I may have given you a shout out on the uh, show two weeks ago when I uh, released a TV Talkaholic episode, but it occurred to me, I wanted you to get uh, an actual shout out on a Let's Face the Facts, Facts of Life episode. So uh, I I think this is a duplicate, but uh, for that, I am not apologizing. Don't apologize. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Daniel loves hearing his name. I'm sorry. I shouldn't apologize so much. So, Uh, but Daniel, welcome to the family. Daniel, as you know, is uh, part of the Patreon crew, the Tutti Fruities who support the show at the $3 a month level and they get extra podcasts and extra stuff. You guys know the Patreon is there. That's what keeps the show free. And uh, if you don't support the show through the Patreon, guess what? Still going to make it. So this week, season eight, episode 17, Cupid's Revenge. Or as I like to call it, Stupid's Revenge. Oh, no. (laughs) This actually ran on Valentine's Day, February 14th of 1987. They did some synergy. They looked ahead and saw that the night of the episode was going to coincide. And so they wrote a tailor-made episode for the holiday. and. It looked like a Valentine's Day store threw up and over our heads. Oh, my God. Talk about putting all your eggs into one holiday, for God's sake. How much shit did they have in that store? Uh, Yeah, especially since they were putting it out. And it was less than a week, wasn't it? Like the dance that they're talking about in that first scene. It's coming up within the week, right? Like it's, I assumed, I assumed it, it was yeah. on Saturday at the end of the week. Right. So the idea is that we're looking at a, a less than seven day turnaround when all of this shit, all the balloons, all the extra signs, all of the extra merch and the sunglasses, all of that's going to have to be put away within a week, girls. You might have wanted to start a little bit earlier. You know, you could have. <laughs> or maybe a Valentine's Day section. For God's sake, it was the whole store for the love. Joe wasn't having a fit about all that. Mm -hmm. I know it. I know it. And that's just going to be packed up and stored away for the next year. Um, Oh, we didn't do our nuts and bolts, but we're excited to get right into it. So fortunately, there's not a lot of nuts and bolts. It was written by John Boney, B-O-N-I. This is his second of three episodes. The first was one that we've already done, Seven Little Indians. That's one of our favorites. That's when we had Ken Reed on for. This one also is a little bit farcical as well. It is. It's a little bit noises off. 
people coming in different doors and misunderstandings and things. But guess what his third show is going to be, Matthew? Oh, God, what? Golden Oldies. <laughs> Again, okay. okay. I He's mean, got a style. This, I'm sorry, this is fucking, this is Chekhov compared to Seven Little Indians and Golden Oldies. This is pretty subtle uh, as far as how, you know, how grounded it theoretically is uh, in everything. But uh, yeah, it was directed by John Boab. And uh, we have many guest stars, but we'll be uh, touching base with them. So let's start talking about the show. Like you already said, it is in full swing. We have got a motherfucking Valentine's Day sale explosionganza going on here. And it's because it's Valentine's Day. So during the Valentine's Day sale, we have basically all of the fixings for the big dance. Apparently, this Valentine's Day dance at Langley College is the event that everyone is going to and wants to go to. And Blair has had many offers, but she's seeing this boy named Fletcher, who's going to be taking her to the dance. Beverly Ann is hoping that Professor Oliver is going to be asking her. Remember, she started seeing Oliver back when Blair was working over at the taco twat whatever what was that place called sombrero shack so some Som- sombrero sluts i think sluts, is what i it think it's what it was yeah so this is uh orson bean returning in the role of oliver as a love interest for beverly ann he does show up and ask her to the dance and brace yourself i know this is going to surprise you joe is uninterested in the valentine's day dance and in any sort of romantic anything entanglement or celebration yeah uh natalie would be going with snake you know snake and she have been seeing each other for quite some time but he's working out of town and tootie doesn't have a date but she does mention if she does she has got a dress that she loves and she she says it's burning a hole in her closet so Mm. we know tootie wants to go to the dance but unfortunately she will not be so while they're unboxing all of this merch, this statue of Cupid with a red bow and arrow is in one of the cartons. And Natalie's like, we didn't order a Cupid. Where did this come from? And it's like, well, send it back if we didn't order it. At which point, Tootie and, and Beverly Ann. No, it's Beverly Ann. Beverly Ann says, no, 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 no. You can't send Cupid back. Cupid is, you know, of course, the symbol of love once his arrow hits you and blah, blah, blah. So they're just like, okay, I guess we'll just fucking leave it on the counter here. But the fact that the fact that they're like, they've cut, we've established, they've covered their store in head to toe red Valentine's Day gifts. And they act like, well, what the fuck are we going to do with a Cupid? Yeah. (laughs) What is this going to where the hell are we going to put this? It's going to fit in nowhere. They, they did, it's not like they packed a Santa Claus in there. It's a fucking Cupid. So uh, I don't know, Nat, maybe throw a fucking price tag on it and try to shift it with the rest of this bullshit you're selling over here. <laughs> like, like, what? hey, hey, in all this Valentine's Day stuff, who the hell ordered a Cupid? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. And I'm doing this in the wrong order. Uh, Beverly Ann says she hopes that Oliver will be asking her to the dance. It is after the statue appears that Oliver shows up and does indeed 
ask her. So it's like, oh, well, this is already going well. They go off to lunch and then Tootie's like, ha ha, Cupid's working. And Joe, of course, have I haven't used the word pragmatist about Joe in a long time. You know how she's often the blunt soothsayer. And this is where she's like, ah, that fucking statue doesn't do shit. What the fuck are you talking about? Um, and Andy says, here's something. I'm sure you you had a reaction to this. Andy says, oh, come on, Joe. Since Mickey Mouse turned 50, I need something to believe in. That's a big deal. Mickey was turned 50 in 88. Mm-hmm. 87. <laughs> yeah, 27 was Steamboat Willie, wasn't it? 28. Well, I'm just saying, this is 87. He said turned 50. Steamboat Willie was released on November 18th, 1928. Wow. You are right. I should never have doubted you. Once again, I'm the jerk. I but, was the tour guide for 11 years. <laughs> I know. What, what the fuck am I thinking? Other than, I swear the line says, ever since he turned 50, which was yeah. past tense. It's in fact that we are now in the throes of, Disney is already doing the marketing in 87 for the following year Yeah, when Mickey is going to be turning 50. Well, they built, it was the first addition to the Magic King. One of the first major additions to the Magic Kingdom was Mickey's Birthday Land, mm -hmm. which became Mickey's Starland, which eventually became Mickey's Toontown Fair, which is now Dumbo Circus. Mm -hmm. Extension and part of New Fantasyland? Yep. Part of that? Okay, I knew that. That was it. That's when yep. they rethemed it to the circus. That's right. And you have two Dumbo rides and more importantly, big bathrooms that finally can accommodate the throngs of mofo people who are in that damn park. Yeah. And there's a little white trash water park in the middle of it. So. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> so Joe goes off to fix her motorcycle. God, thank God everything is back as it was with Joe getting that motorcycle from the Cuban boy that she ended up not marrying. Now Joe can go back and have her motorcycle to fix. Why does it, why does it always need fixing? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's always something with that bike. Yeah, you'd think, wouldn't you? Uh, but no sooner has Joe left than into the store walks, Cliff. Oh, God, he's Woody so, Brown. Oh, he's so handsome. And looking even better because now his 1970s hairdo is looking more 80s, a little more trim a little more neat and clean not as kind of mm. cray cray but uh, yeah remember woody was the guy that blair dated who was secretly an exotic dancer and you mm. would have thought that she had found out that he was murdering puppies yeah exactly and it's like ugh. so anyway they ended up being together and then they were having a little bit of a speed bump when the star at Langley appeared. You know, the big movie star came and was possibly luring him away from her. And then she went out to Iowa to stay with him right uh, over the summer in, in September of 84. So yeah. it was, uh, it's like, it's now February of 87. It's like, it's been two and a half years since he appeared on the show, which is I mean, granted, it's a lot less time for us doing this show every week with no. But breaks. I wonder, I, I did wonder um, if they thought about bringing back what's his guts who went to Alaska. The one in Florida, in Fort Lauderdale? Yeah, the handyman. That, yeah. That told her she'd have to give up all of her, 
her riches and lifestyle to marry him. Yeah, fuck that guy. We like Cliff. Cliff was the best match. I wish we already have said many times before, we wish that Cliff had hung around. And with his reappearance here, it's like, well, we could have hung on to him a little more. We could have somehow brought him back to Peekskill and let him and Blair be a thing for a while. Uh, But yeah, oh well. Yeah, this is his fifth and final appearance on the show as Cliff. Yeah. When he walks in, he says, hey, princess. Once again, we said this a couple weeks ago when Blair was getting all those answering machine messages. Uh, All the guys calling her princess. It's like, I... I don't remember that being a thing. It's her dad that always called her princess. That is just fucking creepy. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we do have the ability to recap their history because Andy is new. So she can say, Andy, this is one of my former boyfriends. We used to be a thing. And he's like, well, more than a thing, I asked her to marry me. But now he's off in Houston at medical school, blah, blah, blah. So that's a handy little narrative device. So from that scene in the shop, we go straight to the living room where she and Cliff are sitting on the couch catching up. We have to fill Andy in on on, on Cliff, but nobody bothers to say, oh, and we have a 12-year-old that works here now, by yeah. the way. <laughs> yeah, who the fuck is this kid? Yeah. So. Well, literally in, what, uh, three weeks after we do Facts of Life Goes to Paris, three weeks or four weeks, Andy's going to be Beverly Ann's son. So it's you know, whatever it'll, we'll be able to justify his presence finally. Um, so we learned that he has graduated from medical school. I don't know two in two and a half years, has he, uh, but now he's checking out hospitals here and in Boston for his internship. Um, that's interesting because he talked about when he left being an intern at the Dallas general intern program. So, and, and he says it twice and she says, wait a minute, what? This is the, um, uh, the year 2000 episode when he asks her to marry him that we did. Um, but yeah, no. So internship was mentioned before and that is weird. They're clearly, I think these writers may be writing about something that they don't fully understand. I'm not sure. And you're supposed to be a cardiologist, heart surgeon. I think that still is there uh no mention of his being a stripper when we first met him of course and uh he can't stay for dinner because he's literally passing through heading to boston to interview somewhere else uh but he says he noticed the poster for the valentine's dance but he's like i'm sure you already have a date and she's like yeah i wish i'd known you were coming too bad and then joe stops in joe's covered in grease because she's been cleaning her motorcycle carburetor something and he right. does say, hey, Joe, I almost didn't recognize you. And I'm like, I didn't recognize him. I'm like, oh, last time he saw Joe, Joe was still in ponytail mode. Joe didn't have the mullet yet. Joe wasn't dressing like a woman-ish when he no. last saw her. Really? I'm trying to picture what her hair was like when they went to the strip joint. It was... It was still in the pony. Remember uh, the summer of 84. That is the episode where they flash back to all the places that they went, including Blair and Iowa. Great episode. That was uh, the one where Joe becomes a lounge singer. That was the first time we ever saw Joe with her hair down. Yeah. And that was the last time we saw 
Cliff when Blair went to spend the summer with him. I'm just trying to remember what Joe's hair was like when she went to the strip club. It was in a ponytail. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. But the setup here is that it's like Cliff is suddenly noticing Joe. And that's going to come into play a little bit later uh, because Joe was like, oh, well, if you're heading to the train station, yeah, she, she needs to take him to the train station. So she's like, oh, I got to test my bike anyway. I'll take you there. Okay, cool. No problem. Oh, but there is a problem. What is the problem, Matthew? Go ahead and finish out the sentence, your, your, the scene. But I have an issue. Oh, okay. We probably, I am. I have a feeling we disagree on, but I would like okay. to know. So then Cliff, as he says goodbye to Blair, they have a wonderful, lovely, romantic kiss. And he says, how lucky I was to have been the only man in your life for a while. <sighs> <sighs> heart melts, heart melts. So then off he goes. Now you say you have issue, <clears throat> you're taking issue. The love of your life is back in town and needs a ride to this train station. And you're just going to be like, oh, yeah, Joe, Joe can take you. Yeah. Or Back the um, fuck up, Joe. <laughs> I agree. I do agree with you. But while we're on the subject, it, it, oh, this Valentine's Day dance is so goddamn important. I mean, I have this other guy and it's days away. And it's like you couldn't call him and say, hey, something else has come up. Can you find another date? Would you hate me? Kind of a thing. It's like the love of your life. It's like, really, girl? Or cancel on him altogether and say, fuck the, fuck the dance. Cliff and I can go out and freaking go to a hotel room or go parking or something. Jeez. But no, you no, we're, we're on the same page with that. Yeah. All right. So the next scene is breakfast the next morning. Uh, Natalie is like, so you didn't feel anything when you were with Cliff. And Blair says explicitly, Cliff and I are history, over, kaput, done, fini. That's all she wrote. And it's like, okay, well. And then she leaves. Cut from syndication, Tootie is reading from a book about the myth of Cupid. And the Cupid statue is still on the sofa table. We got to get to this Cupid thing. This Cupid prop has moved with them. From yeah. room to room, like somebody's like, I'm gonna pick this up and take it and just set it right here. Okay. Uh, yeah. So no sooner does uh Tootie recite this from the book, the phone rings, and it's Jeff. Jeff, her ex-boyfriend. He's in town and wants to stop by, and they haven't seen each other in two years. That is what she says, Matthew, and she is correct. And now we get the brilliance of Tootie having a one-sided phone conversation. Oh no, in you didn't. pure sitcom style <laughs> where she doesn't give the other person a chance to speak. Show her a Bob Newhart bit back when he used to do his phone bits where it was funnier because he was listening to the other person. Her phone call is literally, hello? Oh my God, it's Jeff. Hey, what? Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and then hangs up. It's like he didn't fucking get a word in, Judy. <laughs> oh. 
I get it. We're on a sitcom. We're on a time frame. But Jesus, I mean. You wouldn't consider that a dash of whimsy as you've been uh, <laughs> saying that you love so much about these shows? No? Sure. <laughs> it's just a little too whimsical. It, it could have been written better. But whatever. <laughs> whatever, John Boney. <laughs> so as soon as she hangs up the phone, back to the naysayer. Well, what do you think of Cupid now, Joe? Ding dong. There's a guy in a gorilla suit at the fucking door. Did you and recognize his voice the minute he started? I did not. No, I did. Well, uh, he has a big heart shaped box of candy that he delivers to Natalie. Bananagram for Natalie Green. Giggity. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he sings a lousy song to the tune of Stars and Stripes Forever and and really bad. Like, hey, Natalie, I want to take you to the dance. It's It's really, really bad words matching to music. Very, very poorly written. I'm sure by design, but you wonder, you wonder. The bananagram is from Snake, and it's him telling Natalie he will be in town and he is planning to take her to the dance. And Natalie, in response, thank you, Cupid. And Joe says, it's not Cupid. I'm the one holding the statue, not you. And the gorilla takes his head off. And who is it? It's Roy. Roy, played <laughs> by the wonderful Lauren Lester. How long ago do you think we saw him? Oh, my God. Not since Eastland. Mm -hmm. uh, no, he did pop into Edna's Edibles a couple of times. Oh. He was in the Halloween show. The first time we used Mr. Lazzaroni pretending to be oh, the other guy. Yeah. That was season five, episode six. So over three years, we have not seen Roy. So this is pretty fucking cool when you're looking at they they were able to track down these actors and, you know, not that they were that busy doing other stuff, but, you know, the fact that they thought to use these characters and bring them back. I like that because so much of this episode is show Bible stuff when it's like, yeah, she hasn't seen Roy in a long time. And uh, this is his eighth and final appearance, by the way. And I know he's totally sitcom tropey. But he understood the assignment. He knows exactly what he's there for. He knows exactly who that character is. And I just find him delightful. I do. I'm yeah, sorry. when he's not rapey, I do find him delightful also. There's there's an appeal there. But the that, character's supposed to be like, kind, like he, you, you know he's not. But like, I get it. Like looking at it through the lens, you know, and everything and him yeah. jumping over the couch so she can't leave and everything. I realize it's problematic, but it's like Winnie the Pooh jumping over the couch and stopping you. You know, you're going to be able to take him, you know, like I, I never feared for Joe's life or her safety when Roy is in the room, for God's yeah. sake. True. But he can't take a hint. That's for sure. He can't read the room but he really doesn't pose a threat. I guess you're right <laughs> there. Now we do have a little bit cut from syndication. We have a whole entire scene that takes place in the store. We have Tootie waiting on a customer. Roy is following Joe around. Joe is bringing in some cookies from the kitchen and placing them on the, the cookie counter where they sell that stuff. Um, 
And it's weird because it's like, gee, wasn't there a time, Joe, when you and Blair together could not figure out how to make Mrs. Garrett's peanut butter cookie recipe where you were like, I don't, what's a tablespoon? Is there a table with a spoon on it? I mean, they, they were complete blithering morons, even though they had four years experience making food for 200 girls, three meals a day at Eastland. 18 cups of sugar. <laughs> yeah. Not not one eighth of a cup, 18 well, cups. Yeah. It's a shame that that scene was cut from syndication because there's a great scene where um, he's going to give her Joe. Roy's going to give Joe the serious look. And did yeah. you see what was on the counter behind them, David? I, I did. And I forgot to write it down. What was it? <laughs> For Valentine's Day, heart shaped lollipops. And they are called sinful suckers. Yeah. <laughs> If there was any question about what is being sold at, <laughs> at over our heads. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the heart-shaped condoms suckers. are down below the counter next uh, to the heart-shaped bottles of cherry-flavored lube. Ugh. You know that. Yes. <laughs> I did remember something. And that's such an 80s thing, sinful suckers. You'd, that, you'd see that at Spencer's. That is such a fucking Spencer's Gifts thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And I they love say it. something like, they say something like, tickle me or something. <laughs> like, that's not even like, you're like, what? It's like, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this scene omits some important details where he's tagging along and kind of following Joe around and being a little bit annoyed, but he's talking about how he's matured and he now owns seven Bananagram franchises. Yeah. Now that he's solvent, he says. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, and, and he's ready to take the next step in his life. And then, you know, he puts on the serious face about, you know, it's time for you and me, but then they walk from the, uh, from the store into the living room again. And this is where we come back in the syndicated version. And all he kind of says halfway muddled is he says, well, now that I'm a mogul, it's lonely at the top. So blah, blah, blah. That's why, Joe, I thought it would be great for you and me to. And it's like all he says is mogul. That's all you hear. But you don't understand if you're watching the syndicated version. If he owns seven franchises, he's doing very well for himself financially. So uh interesting how we do find these syndicated versions where they cut stuff out that we do not miss and on rare occasion like this where it's like that's kind of something important to the thing and uh so he's like joe come on let's do it and she's like no get the fuck out of here i still hate you and he even says come on we could abba dabba the nights away <laughs> oh, vaudevillian writers. I would have been legs up if he said that to me. Oh, yeah, I got you. I, I, I'll take a dab of that ABBA. <laughs> yeah, that's a reference to the song ABBA Dabba Honeymoon, which I believe was recorded in the 40s. <laughs> With the I wonderful mean, Debbie Reynolds. Reynolds. Yeah. And um, what was his Ray name? Ray Bolger? No, Carlton Carpenter. Th- that guy. Yeah, what you said. It's a fun song. I love that song, actually. Um, so uh, he, he is still annoying. Joe is making wisecracks at him. And he's like, <laughs> and uh, he says, I'm not going to stay away from you. And she throws the head of the gorilla suit at him. And he goes out the door. And last thing we hear is him do a Tarzan yell. And she just slams the door. 
there's a little tiny part of me that wishes they didn't uh, stick to stick to landing with Roy. It would have been interesting if he was a little bit more grounded. And what did you think about this? Um, I just enjoyed seeing him again. M- me and too. I, and I, again, I could... the shorter hair, very becoming. He's not unattractive. Not at all. And and he's funny. <laughs> he's up for a good time. <laughs> but uh, uh, Justin, my my roommate Justin Schneier, is like he could get it. Sadly, Mr. Lester is married with two daughters, so looking for you know a, a son or an offspring or something. Nope. But I wondered. That's the one thing rewrite wise that I wondered about this episode is what if we had made Roy more grounded, less annoying, and it could have ended with Joe not we we end up in the same place where we started where we've always been it would have been more interesting I think to have Joe kind of close the door with like huh who'd have ever thought like like wow he wasn't have her even turn one of the girls and say wow that's the first time I ever remember being in his presence and not feeling annoyed because for how often a boyfriend will come in for one episode and then leave the fact that, spoiler alert, Joe ends up going to the dance with Roy at the end of this. Wouldn't it have been nice to think that Joe might even have a good time? As opposed to, she's going to be tolerating this same shit again. I don't know. Eh. I, 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 that, would be, that would be my challenge to the writers. I would say, I'm not demanding a rewrite, but I'm saying I would challenge you. See if we can make Roy a little more appealing so that at the end of the episode, technically all of the girls are getting something that they want or might want. That would be Cupid's spell. That would be Cupid's revenge. But anyhow, Tootie enters the room. Cupid is missing. Where is it? Oh, no. If Cupid's not here, this does not bode well. Instantly, Beverly Ann storms in. She's mad because she and Natalie were out to lunch, and she saw Oliver with another woman, and he even kissed her. So men are awful and shitty and should be tarred and feathered and fuck everything, and storms up to her bedroom. And then Tootie responds, did I bode right or did I bode right? Ding dong. Joe answers the door. It's Cliff. Cliff asks Joe if she wants to go to the Valentine's dance since they had such a good time the other day when she drove him on her motorcycle. So she's like, "Um, yeah, okay." And it ends with her closing the door and leaning on it and kind of smiling with kind of the romantic trope of, oh, is this something new that's starting now? And that's how we go to commercial. Cupid is missing. That's where. Go ahead. And and this is how we go to commercial with Cupid missing. And very quickly, the things that we had set up are starting to go all out of whack in Kitty Wampus. And this is where Matthew is staring at the screen going back the fuck up, Joe. <laughs> Not cool, Joe. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a little... The one thing I will say is it wasn't too romantic an invitation. Like he said, we we had such a good time. Maybe you'd want to go to the dance. It wasn't a, hey, I never really noticed how pretty you were with your hair down. You know what I mean? It wasn't, 
it did sound almost like, uh, hey, we're kind of buddies getting friendly. Why the fuck? And, you know, it would have been even nice. I mean, granted, this does not serve the greater plot. But for Cliff to say, and then who knows, maybe uh, I can cut in on a dance or two with Blair, meaning I'll take you to the dance so I can be there to maybe get to spend a little more time with her. Yeah, to sabotage Blair's state. Yeah, let's make Cliff a psycho. Okay. No, Joe, you just say no. That's all. <laughs> End of rewrite. Yeah, exactly. What's what's the female equivalent of uh, bros before hose? Vag before badge. <laughs> <laughs> what does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's from it's from Brooklyn Nine Nine. I think I've been watching been watching I, that a lot lately. I love that show. God, it's genius. And so when we come back from commercial, we're in the bedroom. And Blair is is in full Matthew mode with what the fuck did you do saying you were going to go to the dance with my ex-boyfriend, bitch? Rightfully so. I'm team Blair. You don't do that. Well, I'm sorry. It, I'm sorry. I'm, I think, OK, I think this is where we are going to disagree. I knew it. Because you have no scruples when it comes to this. It's whatever oh. pleases David. Go ahead. You know, not scruples when it comes to comes to men. Yeah, you know me. When it comes to me stealing guys and all that stuff, my romantic life. But Joe quotes back to Blair. She says, what about the it's done, finiti, kaput, and that's all she wrote stuff you said, remember? And Blair says, and you thought I meant that? So Even Joe if says, I did. He proposed to me, Joe. We're going into a public space where we are going to dance together to music. I didn't say I was going to meet him at a hotel or suck him off in the bathroom for shit's sake. Nope. Friends can go on dates. Okay. So Joe even says, okay, this is where I, I am definitely not team Blair here because Joe says, well, then what do you want me to do? And Blair says, the dreaded. If you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. That is some toxic, gaslighting, emotional hostage bullshit. No, Blair. That, no, uh -uh. uh, David, that is, we have lived in a room together for seven years. If you don't know what you should do in this situation with your best friend, our friendship is a sham. That is what that is. That is not gaslighting. I could disagree <laughs> with you if I had any argument against that. <laughs> and I actually don't. You're not, you, you are totally not wrong there. I can't, I can't fight you on that. But that's that's Laura Petrie, you know, Rob, that, that's what you think of Mary Tyler Moore saying, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. It's like, oh, that's the worst. Um, anyway, now the next scene in the store. No, it now we're back in the living room. We have Tootie and Natalie and Beverly Ann. Beverly Ann has left a nasty message on Oliver's answering machine, telling him how she feels and what a two-timing piece of shit he is. Ding dong, it's Jeff. 
Tootie's ex-boyfriend, Jeff, Todd Hollowell is back. They got him too. This is his fifth appearance on the show. Remember his first appearance, he played a different character, a boy named Zach. So this is his fourth appearance as Jeff. And I am so happy from a show Bible perspective that we know Jeff is going to stick around. Tootie and Jeff are going to reconcile and continue to date through the end of the series and eventually get married. So he will be on four more episodes between now and the end of the series. And I love that. When we last saw Jeff, what was he? What was his last episode? His last episode was um, the one where Tootie, he, he's at college, Tootie's in high school, and Tootie was doing, she went to his dorm room, was like, I'll, uh, I'll sleep with you if that's what you want to do. And he's kind of like, no, but d- no, that's not what I want. They, they just kind of grown apart. No, wait. Yeah, the, and then they broke up. Remember, she gave her the, the necklace and she gave, the necklace back okay was he a suddenly going to be a scientist back then oh fuck no 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 he remember he was on a football scholarship (laughs) right and couldn't read if i remember correctly and couldn't read yeah okay when we last saw him yeah so yes jeff is back but is jeff back is or (laughs) i mean because he's going to be a scientist now, apparently. He's, he's discovered the world of aqua marine, bi- biology. marine biology, for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. It is nice because they had kind of grown out of sync. And Tootie thought that maybe sleeping with him was what needed to happen to keep her man. And thankfully, he resisted it because he was like, I don't want that. I don't really know what I want. So their breakup was a little sad. And uh, it was nice that this conversation begins with him saying, I've always felt bad about the way we left things. And she thankfully and graciously says, Jeff, I was a high school kid trying to keep up with a sophisticated college guy. Basically, it's her saying, it's all good. There's no bad blood between us. Uh, Also, he says, I'm single. And she's like, I like hearing that. And I'm at Penn State and I'm studying marine biology. She's like, really? I'm studying acting. He's like, octopuses are cool. And she's like, do you know what the method is? The rhythm method? No. (laughs) Well, but again, we get typical Tootie. It's all or nothing. They have been in each other's presence again for two minutes. And she's like, we have nothing in common. This can't go anywhere. Real. Okay, you're both in college. There's one thing in common. Yeah, this isn't going very well. And he says, two years ago, we were at different places in our lives. I was hoping this time we'd have more in common. And so was I. So they just shrug like, oh, well, we tried. (laughs) Did you? Um, So I'm saying, okay, writers, definitely, definitely. I'm wagging my finger. Can you hear? The sound of my finger wagging. That was you, not his finger, dear listeners. It, okay, it's only slightly smaller than my finger. But anyway, uh, I really think the writers could have set a lot of things right by addressing the fact that when we first met him, he was Tootie's football boyfriend that couldn't read. <laughs> it would have been great if he had said... And I wouldn't be where I am, Tootie, if you hadn't pushed me 
to getting help for my dyslexia. That's all I would have had to say. And that would have fixed everything. And have her say, well, I'm glad I helped, but we're still, you're still there and I'm still here. Yeah. Oh, oh, there is a joke where he says, I've discovered a thing that fills me with so much joy and it's like a blah, blah, blah. And she says, oh my God, you're not wearing robes in the airport, are you? <laughs> Referencing what, Matthew? The hair, whatever happened on Harry Krishnas? I don't know where the Harry Krishnas went. That's uh, That was a big thing in the 70s and the 80s. Um, in the movie Airplane, the original Airplane, 1980. <laughs> yeah. The Hare Krishnas were there. And one of them, David Leisure, future star of Empty Nest and many a Subaru commercial. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then the next scene, we're at the store. Blair is slamming things around. Natalie is noticing things. Uh, and suddenly, as they are talking about this Joe and Blair thing, Blair starts lashing out at Natalie. It starts when Natalie compares Blair's situation to her own situation with Snake. And Blair is like, I think you could hardly compare this to that. And, to, and, and Natalie's like, well, what the fuck does that mean? And Blair's like, you know, we rarely see him. I'm beginning to wonder if he even exists. You're a writer, you could have made him up. And Natalie is like, if I'd made him up, I would have named him Maurice. <laughs> <laughs> and Blair says, well, I guess we'll see at the dance. So suddenly there's this whole thing of Blair has just decided Natalie's boyfriend is fake. And he's been around for quite some time. It would be really, really weird if she hadn't been very aware of his existence, if not met him, but oh well. Then Andy comes in the store with the Cupid statue. He's the one who took it. He took it to school because horny little Andy, the horniest 13 year old in Peekskill, took it to the girls gym class to see if he could, and I'm quoting here, get lucky. Get lucky. Oh, what a creeper. <laughs> wow. Hanging out at the girls gym class. Oh. So Natalie says, oh, it didn't work and you struck out. And Andy says, no, I have 10 dates now. What am I going to do? He is the dog who has chased the bus. Now he's caught the bus. We don't really ever hear anything back as to this. This Andy story never really gets wound up or wrapped up, sadly. But the big thing is Cupid is now back in the store. Thank God. Instantly, what happens? Orson Bean shows up, doesn't he? He comes back in looking for Beverly Ann. And, um, oh, I did put, in addition to the cookies. So the cookies that Joe has on the counter, uh, when Beverly Ann comes into the scene to speak to Oliver, she starts breaking them and picking the cookies and breaking multiples. Like, again, nervous, futzy business, perfect character work. And while he is waiting on her, he pours a cup of coffee because they've got a coffee maker there. Yeah. And so once again, in all caps, in bold, in my notes, you know what it says, Matthew. What the fuck is this shop? Coffee? Mrs. Garrett was the baked goods person. Now she is gone. And help yourself, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> it's just walk in and pour a cup of coffee. Sure. You throw, leave okay. a nickel on the counter. Adam and Eve on a raft. Wreck them. It's like, what the fuck is this? I wondered um, if the cookies that 
Beverly Ann was eating were vegan cookies because she's a vegetarian. Oh, that's right. We covered that when we did uh, the Muppet Show. Yeah. On uh, the the Muppet Show on the TV Talkaholics we just did. Wow, interesting. Well, when Beverly Ann shows up, she does play happy and coy, even though we know she's been punching her wall for six hours straight or some manic crazy shit. And basically he says, well, I just wondered what time you wanted me to pick you up for the dance. And she says, oh, I'm surprised you're here. You haven't heard the message on your machine. And he says, no, I haven't been home yet. I came straight here after having lunch with my sister. Do you kiss your sister? Like, I mean, uh, I mean, they didn't say he was making out. What? No, but I mean, like, just you're sitting at a restaurant with your sister. You're just going to lean in for a kiss or like, the way you would kiss your sister. A bystander could look and say, oh, they are totally fucking. Yeah, I agree with you. That's oof. especially at lunch for God's great sake. I don't know. Maybe I'm I don't have a sister, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, Natalie's dad, remember, had his mistress yeah. in that public restaurant in New York City and they were sucking face. Ugh. Like, ugh, straight people. I mean, I'm friends with a lot of straight people. I just can't condone the lifestyle. No, I don't care what they do behind closed doors. They just yeah. don't need to rub it in my face. Yeah. Anyway, last thing is Beverly Ann says, oh, and when you get home and listen to your answering machine. There's been an insane woman all over the Langley campus who's been impersonating me. Yeah, that's the ticket. And the scene ends. Bless. She's so good, though. She is. She really is. And then finally, the living room, the night of the dance. Tootie's in her bathrobe playing solitaire. And Blair says to her, Tootie, no date, no problem. Make up a boyfriend like Natalie did. And so they have this running bit. Every time the phone rings or the doorbell rings, Natalie is like, there, now you're going to learn that he's real. Snake, it's a, fuck, it's it's Oliver. And the, the ding dong, oh, the door, ah, here it is. And it's just Jeff. It's just, just Jeff and all that. Yeah, Jeff shows up and says, Tootie, hey, you know what? I snuck into your acting class and watched you and you were good. I'm now suddenly interested in your life. Let's go to the dance. And she's like, okay, maybe we'll get married and have a daughter now. Bye. So Tootie's got a date. Sure. Okay. They've reconciled. It Uh, wouldn't have been funnier if she had ripped that robe off and had that dress on. God damn. It (laughs) would have been genius. That is a great idea. When she said, you'd be surprised how fast I can get ready. I was yeah. ready for her to just undo the robe and be like, <laughs> ready. <laughs> I agree with you. I'm that absolutely should be in the rewrite. Uh, so then uh, phone rings, not snake. It's Fletcher for Blair. He has to go to Palm Beach because his great uncle is ill. And then she hangs up the phone and says, really? Is he that close to his uncle? And she says, oh, it's only a head cold, but he is in the will. No. Ha <laughs> ha, rich people. Uh, Oliver shows up to get Beverly Ann. Beverly Ann descends the stairs in a stunning yeah. red dress. Remember the other red dress, the red potato sack with the <laughs> woven belt a few weeks ago that I had issue with? Yes. And the audience kind of went, ooh, when she came down the stairs. No, no. This is the ooh dress because she looks great. Yeah, man. And that's because, well, it's 
it's a better fitting dress. It actually has a shape to it and gives her a figure and uh, just, uh, and, and, you know, blondes look great in red. Yeah. So then Cliff shows up. No sooner does Cliff show up to take Joe to the dance. He and Blair start talking and they're getting a little mushy. And he says, you know what? I've been so busy with medical school. You're not wanting to marry me is the best thing you ever did because I wouldn't have had any time for you. And he says, what a waste being married to a beautiful girl like you and to never see her. Oh, God, marry me right now. He's a doctor, for God's sake. He's a doctor. Uh, And Blair says, well, that's water under the bridge now. And my response, is it? And Joe overhears this as she's coming down the stairs. She's dressed for the dance, a big romantic dance. Uh, This is where I think, Matthew, clearly she does not have romantical intentions because she's back to her wardrobe looking like she's ready to do a tight 10 at the laugh hole. She's wearing pants, for God's sake. We're back to full tilt tomboy here. Yes. Wow. And, and casual, not even looking like a dressy, uppy, I'm going to a, a swanky thing, pants thing. Like it's, oh, bless. Lesbians just don't know how to dress. It's a stereotype, but it's real. It's true. Well, she Anyhow. looks great for a lesbian yeah. in 1987. But yeah. she doesn't look great for a chick who just won over somebody who's going to be a doctor, for Christ's sake, who's taking her to the biggest social event of peak skill season. Mm-hmm. And Joe is about to do something incredibly noble when the doorbell rings and it's Roy. And Roy says that he's there under the pretense of he's delivering Valentine's candy or something. And Joe jumps right on the bandwagon, sees this is her opportunity. And she says, you're late. And he's like, I'm what? And she's like, yeah, to pick me up for the dance. And she turns to Cliff and says, oh, Cliff, oh, what a stupid lesbian I am. I forgot that I already told Roy I was going to the dance with him. I have to dump you tonight. And maybe I'm way out of line, but since the two of you are now unattached for the night, maybe you guys could go together. And the way Lisa Welchel's face looks at her friend who suddenly gets it mm-hmm. and suddenly realizes that her feelings are more important, I choked up a little bit. And that's oh. not saying much because I am lately about two seconds away from tears at any given moment. (laughs) But just watching Lisa Welchel see her friend do the right thing. Great Mm -hmm. job. Hand her an Emmy. It's true. And then they even give her the great line where she says, Roy, you take care of that girl. She's a friend of mine. Oh, Oh, all is good in Blair and Joe land. Mm. (sighs) And then last I shouldn't say last. And then uh, second to last, uh, as far as getting paired up on this Valentine's Day and getting out of the house, Tootie comes down in a gorgeous red dress, also looking great. Natalie looks great. They all look terrific, except for Joe. Uh, And so as they're all leaving, Natalie's the only one who is still left behind. And Blair, goading her, still says, "Uh, do you want us to wait until Snake arrives? And Natalie says, no. I'll catch up with you at the dance. So Natalie is left alone. 
And she takes the statue of Cupid off of the piano, puts it on the desk, and sits and stares at it. And then we hear a car horn honk. What does the horn honk sound like, Matthew? Um, I'm in the mood for love, isn't it? Yes. Yep. It sounds like a Dukes of Hazard, but instead of it being Land of Cotton, it was I'm in the mood for love. That is Snake. What a classy guy Snake continues to be revealed to us as. <laughs> really? Anyway, she opens the door, yells, Snake, I'll be right out. She walks back in, grabs her coat, and to, I mean, like, sure, everything else weird has happened. This is a John Boney episode. What does she do, Matthew? She breaks the fourth wall. Like she did in that episode when she was telling the story of how Mrs. Garrett got married in Beverly Inn came to be with them that at the beginning of the season, that was the first time they ever did something like this. Well, and, and just like in another John Bonney episode, seven little Indians when Tootie goes, well, they break the fourth wall with the Rod Serling, but um, mm-hmm. Tootie telling the music, I'm trying to sneak up in here. Yeah. So, but yeah, duty, uh, Natalie turns to the camera and looks at us and says, you'll just have to take my word for it. And out she goes. And then we pan over to the Cupid statue, still on the sofa table slash desk. Freeze. Roll credits. So uh, what a weird choice at the very end of the episode. Not a terrible episode. A lot happens. It, It is. It's a lot. It's a lot going on. And. I think because of the show Bibleness, because of the bringing back old characters and revisiting them and that they didn't fuck it up, that it wasn't. I mean, true Cliff's doctoral stuff was weird. And and I guess Jeff's um, marine biology stuff's a little bit weird. And uh, Roy was the same. And <sighs> Roy doing bananagrams, for God's sake. Yeah. I, the reason why I'm kind of stammering through this, Matthew, is because I really, really like this episode. This is one of my favorites. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. That's saying a lot. Yeah. And it's very weird because, as you have just heard over the last hour, I have ripped it to shreds and, and criticized it a lot. But there's just, I guess I like when sitcoms can revisit stuff. It's, it's back to the show Bible thing that a lesser episode of the facts of life and they do exist would have had three guys that we have never met before show yeah. up and they would have been yeah you know it's john the guy i dated after jeff you know the one that went away to penn state because he was studying to be a marine biologist well, that's <laughs> i ex- talked about him all the time right that's exactly what happened in the golden girls valentine's day episode where they talk about failed valentine's day the one where they go Reminisce about going to the nudist resort. And oh, yes. Everything at the end of the episode, three strangers to us show up and they're all like, I thought you had to work. Yeah. And like, so, yeah, it, it's been done on, on better television shows than the facts of life. That kind of ending has happened. And that's, I guess, you know, my complaint always is. Did any thought go into this? Did they, you know, did they consider character stuff, show Bible stuff, history between the characters and what they've previously done on the show? 
to me, I guess what really is appealing to me about this is this clearly had some thought put into it and, and a lot because this this was jamming a lot, trying to bring back three guys. We brought back Cliff, Jeff and Roy. We continued to have Orson. It's probably just as well we haven't met Snake. It just would have been like one too many. So, uh, yeah. And at the core of it, Blair and Joe's friendship that when the chips are down, they are there for each other. Yeah. That's the other component that I'm really, really uh, always here for. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right, Matthew. Wow. We've wrapped up another show, uh, another gem. Next week, an iconic episode, David. Oh, really? 62 pickup. That is true, Matthew. But before we do 62 pickup, the night after this episode broadcast on February 15th of 1987, America and the world was exposed to the cinematic perfection that is the facts of life down under. Oh, Jesus, David. We cannot do a line-by-line -line synopsis of that turd. I know. We cannot. Uh, I know. I know we can't. It is. I, I tried. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried several times. Yep. Just letting it play. And it's, it's, it's tough. rough. It's tough. I did watch it already, but I haven't taken notes yet. And I was excited as fuck when it aired. Oh, I oh yeah. Oh, God, me too. Oh, hell I yeah. I loved it. I loved it. But yeah. So, yes, we'll get with Paul Padilla. That hopefully will be next week, guys, if we can coordinate it properly. But we have already arrived. At the, it seems like we were just doing The Facts of Life Goes to Paris. Mm, it lingers on the palate. <laughs> <laughs> it got struck in my throat like, yes, last year's gedempt. This has got big shoes to fill. The Facts of Life Down Under. Man. So leaving you with that to ponder and to anticipate greatly. We thank you for tuning into the show this week, as always. And I'll let you say it, Matthew. What? And remember. Remember. Vag before bad. No. <laughs> no what? The facts of life. <laughs> About you. Oh, yeah. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by the wonderful David Almeida. Our theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Please visit facethefactspod.com for supplemental photos and videos, links to social media, and ways that you can support the show. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This is Matthew Arder saying tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts.